good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and good night. Wherever you listen, how are you listening? Wherever you're watching, how are you watching? It is the Bet Online Salute Detroit podcast, and it looks like we're getting a bearded bandit brother after all, ladies and gentlemen. I love the Jamal. There was a comment that said Jamal's beard grows by the end of the show. Never mind the beard. <laughs> Just join Ryan and coach and go bald. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that never mind the beard? Just join just join Ryan and the coach. And we'll we'll, we'll test the we'll test the <laughs> hypothesis on the scalp as well. Yeah. <laughs> so that was good. Um it's just us two tonight. Ryan's traveling for the holidays, um, unable to be on the show tonight. And it's fine. You know, family come, always comes first. We are a family driven network. So we miss Ryan, but you know, it's Christmas time, so we can enjoy it. But we got one of the legs of the Salute Troy podcast, the most educated man on the planet Earth. He's our Sheldon. <laughs> <laughs> He's our Sheldon. But I'm, just, do, I'm doing the Sheldon laugh there. Yeah, not well, but, but yeah, <laughs> you're not you're not as you're not as obnoxious. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's our Sheldon. We got the Jamal Mad Megan Magni. How are you doing today, Jamal? Doing well, Fred. Always a pleasure to be on with you. We're uh, we're an incomplete family tonight, but family nonetheless. So uh, excited always to to jump into things with you. Yeah. So we're going to continue our conversation from from what we did. We did quarterbacks last week, and we had some big news come out this yesterday. I believe I saw it yesterday. It was yesterday. Yes. Malik Murphy's going to go ahead and jump in the portal, so that gives another free agent opportunity for Lincoln Riley in the transfer portal. Um. So now we have Howard, Ward, and Murphy in the transfer portal. Ward and ha- Ward and Howard are going on this world tour. They're just getting wind and dying. And when I when I thought about that, you know what? I don't blame them because I remember when I took my college trips and I told every recruiter that every person I was going to recruit me, I'm taking all my trips. I don't care what you guys say. I don't care how upset you get. I'm taking this free money. I'm taking these free steak dinners. I'm getting wine and dine by everybody. So I don't blame them for that. Their decision's probably already made, but they're taking advantage of unlimited trips. They need to make a decision before Christmas if, if it was me, just so you could start getting registered for classes and all those things and not be behind a ball. But neither, neither here nor there, Malik Murphy, very interesting, right? Jumped in the portal. Um, I'll just kick it to you first. How do you feel about it? And before I kick it to you, do not let your Bruins side affect your feelings about Malik Murphy, even though I know he made a last-minute switch. But how, how, do you, how do you feel about this whole now Malik Murphy's a free agent? What do you feel about this? Where does it go? Fred, it's a, he's a very intriguing prospect. I mean, let's not forget this is a guy who made a couple of spot starts for a team that's in the college football playoff. You sandwiched in between Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning, you know, kind of the present and then the future. So he's kind of looking at a situation where Ewers probably comes back next year for Texas with the momentum of a college football playoff run. So he's going to be kind of even better and even more locked in. And then you've got Arch Manning kind of nipping at your heels behind you, getting ready to be the heir apparent possibly in 2025. So for him, I think he's making the right decision for himself in terms of leaving Texas and looking at the options available to him. I think he's a very interesting prospect physically, uh, Fred, because he's 6'5", 240. Uh, You know, he's exactly built like Will Howard and probably with a stronger arm and a little bit more athletic. So the question becomes uh, his upside 
is enormously high, but he's very raw. He's very raw in terms of mechanics. He's very raw in terms of footwork. He's very raw in terms of being able to read defenses. So it comes down to how Lincoln Riley thinks about development because you've got Malachi Nelson, the five-star. You've got another pipeline of quarterbacks, kind of 24 and beyond. Do you want another longer-term project in Malik Murphy to sort of push those guys uh, for the foreseeable future? Or are you treating the transfer portal as someone who's going to come in right away and be your starter, a more finished product? And so to me, that's kind of the, the push and pull of this dynamic. Given how Lincoln Riley is behaving and kind of strategizing and putting the chess pieces on the board, to me, it feels like he wants more of a ready-made product for one year in the transfer portal and build out his talent pipeline at quarterback more traditionally through high school and with guys with deeper eligibility. But in, a, in a, an interesting world here, Fred, Malik Murphy kind of has the athleticism of Cam Ward and the size of Will Howard. He's almost sort of the best of both worlds, but he's very raw. And so that ultimately becomes the trade-off of upside versus what you can get immediately in terms of production from a 2024 perspective. Yeah, so correct correct me if I'm wrong. I'm a timeline Malik Murphy here. I believe he came in the same time as Quinn Ewers or maybe a year before. A year before he came in the same time. Same time. Same time as Quinn Ewers. He was injured when he came in, so he redshirted. Quinn Ewers got hurt. He got some reps in games. People saw him. He does have some film out, some college film, believe it or not. Um, the thing about it is when it came down to who is going to be the starter this year, Quinn Ewers still was the starter. You right. know what I mean? And then I believe Quinn Ewers got hurt this season. Like he missed one game. He did midseason. Yep. And did Malik Murphy play for him? Was he did. Malik, yeah, Murphy, Malik Murphy played in that BYU game. He also played in, in some spot work in middle of that season as well. Right. So, I mean, I it, <clears throat> where where SC is now as far as roster, I don't think it's a fit. Right? I'm going to say this. I will, let me pause right there. So, remember I said that. The transfer portal is for a guy like Malik Murphy, right? He's caught in the wash. He's probably not going to play at Texas. He wants to go somewhere and get an opportunity to play. 100% that's what the transfer portal is. Now, if he's shopping for a price, he's wrong. If he's shopping for an opportunity, he's 100% right. So I agree for him getting in the transfer portal because this is for somebody like him. If you're a guy... You're going to get caught in the wash. You're probably not going to play. You want to get opportunity to play. Yeah, go get in the portal. If you're in the portal shopping for a price after you played a whole season, that's when it gets weird, right? And then we could start talking about how there are coaches that are going out and picking guys off of rosters, offering them money, and forcing them to get into the transfer portal. That's wrong. That's a different conversation for a different day. That's a lack of integrity. But as far as Malik Murphy, so back to Malik Murphy, where SC is in the roster right now, it's not a fit for Malik Murphy, right? I don't think SC needs a Malik Murphy because, as you said, they have a Malachi Nelson. They have a Miller Moss, right? They have people on their roster. If you are, the problem is, if this was year two and we were in this situation, 
I think that we'll be okay as far as quarterback because it's either going to be Miller Moss or Malachi Nelson. We have time to build. We'll be okay with struggling with a building quarterback because it's like we get it. We just lost the Heisman Trophy winner to the NFL draft. We have first-time starter, never seen him play. We have a true freshman behind him as a backup. <clears throat> Things will be a lot different for Lincoln, right? Granted, we don't know what the, def- the defense situation is completely different. Today, it's not good enough, right? It's I don't see the reason why you would bring in a sophomore, a redshirt sophomore, and you have Malachi Nelson, who has the same potential, possibly, and the same experience, right? You don't know where their ceiling is, but you know there is a ceiling. You know there's a bunch of upside, but why would you go and develop two quarterbacks? Because then next year, then you'll put Malachi Nelson in the portal. And what if Malachi Nelson ends up being the guy you miss, miss on Malik Murphy? That, at this situation, where I am on depth chart of the quarterback, is not a risk I am willing to take. I'm not willing to take that investment. Yeah, now, that's we'll a really see. fair point, Fred, in terms of, you know, because it's one thing if you get a Howard or a Ward in the room where a Malachi Nelson knows, okay, this person's just much further along, they're older, they're here for a year, I still need to kind of take another step. It's another thing to bring in someone with three years of experience, uh, three years of eligibility left, and say, okay, now you guys are going to battle it out. Now, mm-hmm. having said that, Malik Murphy could end up becoming better than Malachi Nelson. And so yes. it's probably, you know, there's a world here where you could get both, maybe. You know, where where you've got Malik Murphy and, and Malachi kind of competing, and then you pick your starter who you really want, and Miller Moss is, is sort of your fourth string at that point. It's just sort of an emergency blanket, and you proceed that way. Now, the question is, does, is USC nil from, you know, kind of a collective perspective deep enough to be able to do that relative to the other challenges that they have, particularly on the defensive side? Probably not. But to your point, Fred, I don't think Malik Murphy is the sufficient solution here. I think you still want to go with a Howard or a Ward because the other part of this, Fred, is you also have to win in 2024. Mm-hmm. This is year three of the Lincoln Riley era. So, granted, he gets a bit of a reprieve with Caleb Williams leaving and needing to kind of retool uh, the offensive side of the ball. But given how problematic the end of this season was, and it's a seven and five, we'll see how the bowl game goes. I feel like Lincoln Riley has lost all rope, all kind of honeymoon cushion. Uh, where he can't go into year three saying, hey, this is going to be one more year of rebuilding uh, before we can kind of seriously contend in year four. I think he's got to put a product on the field in year three to be able to really demonstrate credible competitiveness from a top 12 perspective and try and get into a playoff berth. And the question then becomes, does Malik Murphy allow that to happen from day one? Because the difference right now between Texas and USC is USC has their Arch Manning in Malachi Nelson, USC doesn't have their Quinn Ewers. They don't have their sort of solution for 2024, which is the reason why Malik Murphy is interested in USC, but it's also the reason why USC probably, to your point, shouldn't be all that interested in Malik Murphy and kind of look more towards Howard and Ward. Now, uh, before I get to this I'll let you guys know that Solution is brought to you by Bet Online. Bowl season starting on Saturday. Catch the Madman at SoFi Stadium watching the other team play. Probably take another L, but it is what it is. You can go on BetOnline. It is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. You can go on. You can go on BetOnline.ag. Put in all your parlays. Get all eighty-five games. If you hit that, you'll be set for the new year. 
BetOnline.ag, put in promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus. Now, I am going to say this. There, there is a good fit for Malik Murphy. There is a good fit for Malik Murphy in L.A. That's why you're laughing. Because <laughs> I knew for, where you were going with this. <laughs> there's, there's a good fit for Malik Murphy in L.A. There, there actually is. And I know this is the USC show, and I wish we had Will the Thrill on here because Will the Thrill would love to hear this right now. I think you should go to Westwood. You know what I mean? And and I say this. UCLA needs to be good for the sake of USC, right? And we talk about this all the time, and we understand the culture of the Victory Bell. Uh, uh, Garmin, 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 I'm a big fan of Garmin, even though he's a UCLA guy, and you know that. I'm a really when the AD hire was happening. Who did I say we should go get? We should go get Garmin. Garmin yeah. ran on the field, grabbed the victory bell, rushed off, ran up the tunnel with the victory bell. He understood how important that game was. Like he understands the culture. UCLA being good in football is good for USC's football, right? And they understood that. That's why they're bringing them to the Big Ten. If that wasn't the case, they would have went and got the other two schools also, Cal and Stanford. Hey, we need them to come to the Big Ten too because we have this full rivalry. They understand it. I think Malik Murphy going to UCLA is great for the rivalry, right? There's a spot for him there right now. Now, like I said, if he's shopping for money, that's not the spot for him. If he's shopping for an opportunity, there's an opportunity for him in L.A. Will there be some bad blood amongst alumni? Maybe because he was originally committed to UCLA. Correct me if I'm wrong. He was originally committed to UCLA, and then Sark came in late and stole him, right? Yep, yep. So so that, that's the thing that happened. But but bygones be bygones, and him going to Westwood might be the best position possible for Malik Murphy. Yeah, Fred. I mean, it's, it's a terrific point. And, uh, you know, I think there was a Freudian slip there. Yeah, Jarman has been fa- fantastic for, for UCLA, and – and I remember Garmin being those uh, those old school GPS, you know, yeah, things that you put on the dashboard. Garmin, you know? I, I apologize. I apologize. No, 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 Jarman, no sweat. I, I, I was thinking about that device while, while you were talking, but that's spot on, Fred, as, as usual. And I think, again, uh, Malik Murphy, I think an opportunity to go to UCLA makes a lot of sense. Uh, they've got, you know, Ethan Garbers with one more year, and then it sort of really opens up the aperture. Chip Kelly is still a great, offensive mind understands quarterbacks and and to your point Fred I think that opportunity to kind of play right away be in a big market kind of get all of the things um that you potentially can get at, at a USC with your personality you know nil is one thing but if you demonstrate tremendous personality in LA you open up the aperture in terms of endorsements in LA which is right. sort of an independent thing uh than nil so I think there's a lot there I completely agree with you and it's just getting very interesting now with the transfer portal how this intertwine between SC and UCLA is taking place. Guys, you know, it started last year with with Kyle Ford. Then obviously with DeAnton Lynn, we're talking about Malik Murphy kind of bouncing between these two schools potentially as options. Another name, Fred, I think that's worth mentioning is Kamari Ramsey, uh, the the UCLA star uh, safety who was originally committed to Stanford, flipped, went to UCLA, had a tremendous year, had a tremendous victory bell game. Now it's down to the top three with Kamari Ramsey in the transfer portal between USC, Washington, Ohio State. A lot of talk right now that Kamari Ramsey, because of the D- the DeAnton Lynn relationship, will come to USC and significantly bolster that secondary. You know, can you imagine a Kamari Ramsey with a Kalen Bullock? I mean, you're really talking about kind of retooling the secondary in a very significant way. So 
it's interesting how this intertwine now in LA is taking place with Nil in the transfer portal. But that's another name to watch right now. Malik Murphy's getting a lot of pub because he's playing the leading role um, and getting a lot of pub for USC. The guy to really be watching uh, as as USC fans would be Kamari Ramsey and, and kind of being able to bolster that secondary. Seems like he's close to making a decision and also seems like USC is in pole position for now. Well, yeah, it, it, and it'll be a culture change for him, though, right? Because he's in a, a more competitive school academically. <laughs> and a, a more enriched... Red's not more, pulling any punches today, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you know? A more, enriched, a more enriched university, a better connection line, you know, but culturally, you know, but... Yeah, he, um, he started at Stanford and then, you know, worked, worked his way to, uh, to, to these schools. <laughs> he, he, remind, he reminds me of somebody that has done that before, but I just can't put a finger on him. I think his name is Jamal, but we won't go down that <laughs> But that, But I will say this. I will say this. If Kamari Ramsey is a guy that's interested in going to USC, I'll take a Kamari Ramsey. And let me tell you why. He was originally committed to Stanford, right? That instantly tells me right there, smart, right? He's a safety. You need a safety is considered the quarterback of the defense, right? So he's smart. He went to UCLA, top public school in America. There you go. He was able to get in. He's Stanford, UCLA. Now he's coming to SC, another competitive university. He already knows the defense. That's another plus, right? So now he's not playing. And I was thinking about this. SC's defense played very robotic. Like, they right. weren't flowing. You get a Kamari Ramsey who knows the defense and already has the, the intellectual intelligence. He's just going to be flying around. We're looking at maybe a Thorpe Award finalist, a watch list, or something like that because of what he already knows and what he's already going to do. And the move is not hard for him. He's not. It's It may be a culture change, but it's not a city change, if that makes sense. It's still right. all the same thing. He could go to a Laker game at UCLA. He go to a Laker game at USC, right? It's all. It's still L.A. So there may be a cultural change within the schools, but it's not a cultural change within the area that he's in, if that makes sense. So that is something that is really worth looking at, and that's like Oscar Best Supporting Actor right there because even though he doesn't support Malik Murphy coming to USC, which I don't think he should, but – you're right. The spotlight really should be on him because he's a guy that makes the Trojans way better on defense. He's a guy. Now we're talking like we're talking about, like you say, you're in that three year window. There is no excuse. It's playoff or bust, right? We we're not going to say national championship or bust because we're not there yet, and we we should be, but we're not there yet. But he needs to be. I'm. You said top twelve. I'm not satisfied with top twelve. He needs to be five and up. That's that's where we should be. You know what I mean? So right. there's no excuse. Like, but now, Fred, you know, he's got he's got margin, right? Because now yeah. that the playoff is 12, it really should be a, a a playoff should be the expectation every year, and particularly in year three with the room that he's got. And the, and the one thing I'll say, Fred, about the Ramsey point is, I actually love the interplay. Can you imagine that combination with Bullock and Ramsey next year, yeah. where you've got the more cerebral guy? kind of calling out the defenses, understanding where folks are lining up, and he's a thumper. I mean, we saw that in the Victory Bell game. We've seen that in other games this year. And then it allows Kalen Bullock to be his true free safety self, be that ball hawk, go follow the ball, track the ball, get interceptions. I mean, that's a dynamite combination there that really changes 
the the projection of USC football defensively in a way that gives this secondary identity that they have not had the last several years. And 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 I will say with that, um, it also helps. You have a guy who knows the defense who becomes a leader. It helps people like Damani Jones, right? Because <laughs> you know I'm a big fan of Damani Jones, and yeah, and he was a young kid, got hurt, had a bad game. His season kind of tanked, but I think his upside is phenomenal, right? He's a big corner. He's an NFL corner. Put him in a situation where, and I, like I said, I think it's the thought process. He was thinking way, 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 way too much. Now let's relax his thought, and let's see what happens if he just plays football. Right? No doubt. I, I mean, and, and for a Domani Jackson, Fred, he and Ramsey are the same age. So if he sees Ramsey kind of thriving, it's going to mm-hmm. inspire him as well. To, to sort of reach his potential. I mean, Domani Jackson's five-star, modern-day, homegrown kid. So I, it, there's a domino effect here that can take place in the secondary with, with Ramsey being kind of a glue and a linchpin. Yeah, we could get that first-year secondary with the 16 picks and everything like that. So, hey, everybody on the Mightier 1090, we appreciate you guys for watching. If you're watching any games, bowl games this weekend, don't forget to go to Stone Brewery, get you a fight on Pell from any of your local vendors. This brought to you. Also, if you want to put some picks in, go to prizepicks.com on, dot com or go on your app or Google Store. You can put any two picks. If you put in promo code USCLAFB, we'll match up to $100. Thank you guys for listening on the Monitor 390. So, Jamal, yeah, like <clears throat> that right there, you might be onto something here. Like you might have created – you could create a shell – that's really good. So it's confirmed that that Ma- uh, not Max Williams, Max Williams is gone. Kalen Bullock's coming back, right? Seems so Caleb, that way. Yeah. Okay. So Kalen Bullock's coming back. You get Ramsey. You get Damani Jackson. You find it. You know who I want to play corner, right? And he has a spring, a whole spring to learn it. You get Malachi Lim in that corner. We got something here. You know what I mean? Like that secondary, the first year was a really good secondary, even though the defense was bad. The secondary was really good. Like and. I think that is the difference between this year and last year. They created more opportunities for the offense. That's why they were able to be as good as they were. Last year, the defense didn't create any opportunities for the offense, and then all of a sudden, everything fluttered. So now you're going to be put in this position where you do create uh, opportunities for the offense, right? And Belichick says this all the time. You build your defense from the back forward. right? And I really do believe it because you eliminate the big plays and you get a pass rush. (laughs) <laughs> that's the recipe for success. So you're putting somebody who's going to eliminate a big play, comfortable flying around the ball and become a leader. Now you got a youngster that's going to be good at corner. You got another vet. That's a really good free safety that plays center field like Ken Griffey Jr. We have something here. So this, year, I love that Fred. I love that quartet between <laughs> a possible Ramsey Bullock, Jackson lemon, I mean, you're talking about not just a position to put your best athletes, your most intelligent guys, your hardest hitters all on the field at the same time, but they're going to be together with the exception of Bullock. They're going to be together for a few years in the foreseeable future. And I love the point that you made about outside in with, uh, with Belichick. Look, let's not forget the greatest dynasty of the modern era in college football, Alabama. How were they built? They outside were built in. from the secondary. Everyone forgets though that 08 team, the 09 team, the team that ended up kind of dethroning Tebow and beginning this run. Nick Saban started that team. The strongest unit of that team back in the late 2000s was the secondary with guys like Arenas and others. And then they had 
you know, Fitzpatrick and some of these guys, you know, coming through. So the the idea of being able to build a great defense from the secondary, I think, uh, is, is very, very strong. See, the secondary becomes a very uh, commoditized position, in my opinion, when everything else is sort of average. When you've got kind of a, an average front seven or you've got only kind of pass rush ability from a couple of different places and you're playing kind of a, a an offensive style of ball like the air raid is and playing kind of this four stops and you win the game, that sort of commoditizes the secondary. But if you right. truly want to be a contender moving forward and really be able to contend to win national championships and forget about kind of this four stops and we, we win the game kind of thing that SC has been forced to be in the last couple of years, you know, starting with the secondary and building inward is definitely a great strategy. Look, it worked for the two greatest coaches here of the last 25 years, one in pro, one in college. So there's got to be something to it. Right. And so and then I'm going I'm to make this comment and it's going to be against everything I believe. But I think sometimes you have to deviate from your plan in order for things to work. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm against the transfer portal. I'm not really against, I'm not really for living in the transfer portal, but on this side of the ball. And if you do have a guy like Ramsey, where you have what two to three more years, depending on pro eligibility, right. And how, if he has opportunity to become a pro, I truly believe that Lincoln Riley can't miss in the portal this year. He can't do like he did last year in the portal. Like the guys that he has to get in the portal, and I think he has to live in the portal on defense. And we'll get into that when we start breaking down the roster on defense. But I think he has to live in the portal on defense because you can't do it with freshmen. Not at the not right. where he's at, and not with his window closing. He has to do it with experienced sophomores and juniors who have multiple years to learn the defense and come back and play again and create a bond with a team. And that's why I'm deviating from what I say, right? Because like, like you always say it, the window's closing, right? And it's a really, 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 really short gap. Now that window's damn near closed. We're getting a breeze. You know what I mean? So uh, he has to, has to get the, get this right in the portal. If he doesn't get it right in the portal, there's going to be a check on the field and Lincoln Riley Royce is going to know what that check means while he's in at halftime. So like we, we, we have to do everything possible in the portal this year defensively to become a successful football team. No, I totally agree, Fred. I mean, urgency is the name of the game. I think of it as a two-year window here in 24 and 25 where Lincoln Riley will have completed four years at USC. And if this team doesn't get any closer to a credible college football playoff run, not just kind of getting there now with the top 12, but kind of making a run, you're going to wonder whether or not he's really the right guy for the job, considering that he was inherited a Ferrari at, at Oklahoma for five years and, yeah. you know, couldn't quite get over the hump in the college football playoff as well. Couldn't really win a big game over there. So that combined with the fact, what else does 2025 signify, Fred? It's the 20 year anniversary of Texas USC, you know, the 20 year <laughs> anniversary of Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart being USC Trojans and in that last kind of game, 20 years. So it'll be a generation. So you have to be able to create your own results, your own history, your own highlights, your own moments. We can't be living off of the back of the past much longer. And so to me, I think of it as 2024, 2025. If SC cannot get into and really infiltrate that national conversation in these next two years, it is going to be a lot harder than people realize to get back 
to those P. Carroll days, to those John McKay days. It is going to be a very tall climb. So this is a critical two years. I think Lincoln Riley is sensing it. I think Lincoln Riley has been told it. And I think you can kind of see a fire under the belly on the recruiting trail in terms of who he's hired between Lynn and Entz. Um, so I'm liking what I'm seeing from Lincoln Riley at the beginning of this offseason, but a lot more needs to be done moving forward because I think this is a two-year window here. Do you think Do you think that it's motivation or do you think that it's, uh, like you said, like you, do you think it's told? You know what I mean? Like, do you think he's like, man, I do not like the way this season went. I need to get better. I'm going to go out on a recruiting trail. I'm going to go get dudes. I'm going to go win in the portal. Or do you think it's, hey, man, this is not where we're supposed to be. This is not what you told us. We're going to year three and we're still the same. You need to start making some changes or we're going to have to make a change. Which one do you think it is? Because me personally, I think it's a threat. I don't think this is him on his own. Yeah, no, I think it's fair, Fred. I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you. Look, let's not forget, he's never had more than three losses in a season, and he's coming off of three straight losses right now. This has definitely been his worst season as a head coach, so it humbles you. I think he's had to kind of go back and reassess and reset and really sort of demonstrate a fire under the belly. He's talked about it um, at the end of the season that it's really going to kind of drive a fire, but I also think he's been told by major boosters and and folks that really understand USC football because so much of the narrative this season that I did not like from Lincoln Riley was, well, I inherited a team that was four and eight. Well, I inherited a situation where, you know, we were six and oh for the first time in a few years where, you know, I've taken this program from point A to point B without kind of recognizing even the immediate past history. I mean, even a guy like Clay Helton won 21 games in two years, won a Pac-12 championship, won a Rose Bowl, And no one kind of thinks of Clay Helton as some long-term solution. I mean, he had gashes in terms of, you know, his ability as a head coach. So Lincoln Riley was a little tone deaf about USC history. I think he kind of came in and said, oh, they'll be satisfied with this sort of turnaround. And I think I've noticed, at least in the recent uh, past, is he's kind of toning that down and really focused on forward. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think his pride is hurt, but I think he's also been told. Yeah, I, I and if it was me personally, you wouldn't have to tell me. Yeah, I would have yeah. been. Yeah, I, you would have saw recruits as soon as we were, as soon as we were like six and three. You'd have been like, "Oh, he's going to get it hard." Like, you know what I mean? Like, because it's just unacceptable. But then again, there, like, there, there's a there's blinders to the culture and the expectations of USC West. I mean, sorry, East of Las Vegas. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I know it may be a little bit farther than Las Vegas, but I'm just giving a generalization, right? So there's there's kind of blinders. Like, it's just USC. They're in California. They got a bunch of players. But that's not really what it is. It's just there's an expectation for USC football. And I don't think people really understand the expectation. Our expectation for football is the same expectation that Texas A&M has. The only difference between us and Texas A&M, we have a history of winning Heisman trophies. We have a history of winning Pac-12, Pac-12 championships, Pac-12, Pac-10 championships. We have history of winning Rose Bowls. SC has the most Rose Bowl wins in the history of the Rose Bowl. SC has the most conference wins in the history of the conference. SC has 11 national championships, right? <laughs> like That's Absolutely. like the third most compared to Alabama. Like There's so much stuff, but like you always tell us, 20 years since Reggie Bush that's coming up in 2025. The last conference championship was this. Last, and then like, so there's a fail, and then all of a sudden, I think culture gap started to happen. Like people started to lose the culture of USC. 
the best thing I think you do to bring it back. You get players that you keep for multiple years. You start to rebuild that culture back. You start bringing back little things that matter to USC, and all of a sudden things start clicking and you start winning again. But I think this year, look, Lincoln Riley, people are telling him, like, this ain't right. This isn't what we want. And he's like, oh, okay, they're for real. <laughs> like they're for real about their football in California. I didn't. I just thought it was California. Like they're for real about their football in California. And now he's like, "All right, let me get this together. I'm gonna be unemployed. You know what I mean? I'm gonna be coaching in a group of six in two years instead of being at. <laughs> I'm instead of being at a university with unlimited resources. You you get what I'm saying? No, I, Fred. I think it's it's a it's a great point. I mean, look, we all love the history. I mean, you said it best. Eleven national championships, eight Heisman trophies. I mean. Opening day at the Coliseum next year, we're going to see the 13 unveiled. Hopefully we see the five with it. That would yeah. be uh, really nice to, to sort of round that out. Uh, but, you know, when you think about it, I mean, even you and me, right? I mean, we're, we're I don't want to say we're old guys, okay? That's not true, but we're not, you know, in our 20s anymore. Correct. But even for us, look, nine of the 11 national championships that USC has won were before you and I were born. Okay, so I mean, you know, the the last one of the McKay John Robinson era was seventy eight, right? So we didn't even live through that. So so the the last two were is is obviously everything here in terms of the Pete Carroll years, oh two to oh eight, the prime years. So our whole history, our whole identity, even in our lifetime, is built off of that. And when you go twenty years without playing in a national championship game, with you know, once in a while, kind of having an occasional Rose Bowl, an occasional run to a Pac twelve championship. I mean, think about that, right, Fred? I mean, when you are a recruit that's 18 years old and you're saying, well, Reggie Bush's last game, Matt Liner's last game is 20 years ago. In two years, they weren't even born. It's kind of the way, you know, I thought of Marcus Allen, the way I thought of OJ, the way I thought of Mike Garrett. Look, these are great legends. When I, when I went to USC, understood that, but I didn't have like a personal connection because I just wasn't born. I wasn't there for it, you know, but I, you respect the history. You have to be able to have, those personal connections and those ties to the success because once you lose it it's really hard to get it back and money alone doesn't get it back i mean right. just ask texas a&m just ask tennessee just ask auburn you know just ask some of these teams that where it's a real struggle to kind of get back into contention once you've sort of lost it so that's why this urgency is so important and when you talk about name image and likeness and when you talk about collectives that gets exacerbated even more because guess what USC's mega donor base when it comes to football is getting older and mm -hmm. so there will come a time when they're not around and so someone is going to have to carry that baton in terms of the mega donors to be able to write those seven-figure checks to be able to be connective uh, competitive from a collective perspective and if those folks don't have a connection to USC football they're going to put their money in other things, other things at USC, other things in Los Angeles, other philanthropic things, other business endeavors, other things where they do have more of a connection to. So that's why, from a business standpoint, from an economic standpoint, these next two years are so pivotal. And, and, and to piggyback on what you said, here's the best example I could give. Every halftime home game, there was a check presented. When I was there, when I played there, every time there was a home game, at halftime, there was a check presented. No matter what the check was for, there was a check presented every halftime. When was the last time you saw a check presented at USC, right? Winning cures everything. And like you said, like, you want to pass the baton. Like, there's no more Galen's. There's no more um, 
you know, Tudors and Annenbergs yeah, Tudors, and yeah, and Annenbergs. Yeah, they're 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 not there. Galen's gone. Galen was around when I was there, but he's not. God rest his soul. Like, but he he's not he's not around anymore. Like those big names aren't there anymore. The big names are coming up, but the big names are like, yeah, I'm not going to give my money to football. Like they don't win, right? But you start winning, collective takes care of itself, right? The uh, Roman takes care of itself. I here's a good example, uh, and we'll we'll come back on this because this is something we need to see. Uh, after August, I guarantee you the Romans going to drop at USC this year. I guarantee mm. you, right? <laughs> the Romans shot up last year. Everybody wanted to go to USC last year, and I guarantee you they won't have the same problem this year because they're back to being average. Like, there's a reason why people want to go to Duke, not only because it's a prestigious university, because they want to go to the cameras. They want to go to Cameron Indoor, right? right. There's a pe- reason why people want to go to Alabama. There's a reason why people want to go to Oregon. I don't understand why they don't win any big games. They just have nice <laughs> uniforms, but they think their football team is excellent. That's the most average crowd I've ever met in my life, but it is what it is. But, <laughs> but I mean, there's a reason why people want to go to North Carolina and, and those schools is because they win. They want to be a part of that culture. They want to be a part of winning. They want to be like, oh, I was there when we won the national championship. If you don't win, you don't get Roman, right? And UCLA's Roman is not an issue, right? Because their basketball team is still going to the Final Four. They still go to the Poly Pavilion. They're still a part of something, right? And you don't, and FC's not understanding that. How do you get it back is our culture. And everybody's like, oh, you're so, you guys are so lost in the times. It's not the fact of being lost in the times. It's the fact that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Right? You can no, tweak I, it a little no, bit. You're, you're exactly right, Fred. I mean, the one thing I'll say is it's not necessarily about being lost in the past. It, it's about bringing some of the best of the past into the future. Because yes. you can't just sort of look forward and play this sort of transactional game with nil without bringing the thing that you have at your advantage, which is your history of success, which is your pedigree, which is your tradition, which is your school spirit, all of those things that sort of make USC USC. And I think that's what's really important to sort of bring in moving forward. Look, right now, when you talk about the landscape of college football, I think there's really only one metric that matters, and that is the number of seven-figure donors you have associated with your football program. And I look at it this way, Fred, and just kind of going end to end. I think a school like UCLA for football has maybe two or three seven-figure donors. I think USC for football has about 10 or 12 or 14 seven-figure donors. It's between kind of 10 and 15. And then when I look at the upper echelon of the SEC, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and then you throw in Michigan, Ohio State, throw in Texas, I think they have probably 24, 25, 30 seven-figure donors for football. I think that's where this lies. So I think USC is really strong when it comes to the the historic Pac-12, West Coast, west of the Mississippi. But in terms of being able to compete at a national level, more needs to get done. There is a gap. You keep hearing it. There is still a gap with USC from a nil and a collective standpoint that they need to close. I think Jen Cohen's doing a great job fundraising when it comes to the new facility, when it comes to the new football center and being able to pull big dollars there. But I sometimes wonder whether we've sort of missed the curve. I think facilities and football centers were the thing 10 years ago that make a difference. I don't know if football centers like you, it's nice to have, you need it. It's there. It's great. USC needs a really great home. But I think the thing that now 
makes the biggest difference is how big your nil is. I think 10 years ago was your football centers. 20 years ago was maybe kind of the quality of your education, your campus, all of the other things. I think now it's all about the nil collective. So it's great that SC's doing the football center stuff, but they have to kind of close that gap with the nil collective stuff. And that's why to get that number from 10 or 12 to 25 or 30, these are the things that you have to do. You have to channel a little bit of the past to best position yourself for the future. Do you think winning will get that? Because, uh, and let's clarify it for people watching because we're going to get, well, they have the, we know they have the ability to become an upper echelon nil or collective. Like, so we under, we know that part. Do you think winning all this winning, I shouldn't say winning because they won last year. Do you think consistently winning and becoming the team that we expect them to be, do you think that brings them from, we'll just use round numbers, 15, all of a sudden to 25 collective people and now the or seven-figure donors? Like So all we need to get those five seven-figure donors to become an upper echelon program is we just need to consistently win and make a consistent playoff run. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think, Fred, I think it's part of it. I think it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. I think that okay. you have to win, number one. This is L.A., This is a market where if you don't win and people get bored, there's just too many other things to do, whether you're a USC alum or not. I mean, if you're not winning, there's just so many other things in the the land of LeBron and Shohei and all of the different things that are going on in L.A., you know, whether it's it's Hollywood, whether it's the cultural stuff, the music, the food, the pretty girls. I mean, the beach. I mean, there's a lot going on in L.A., so you have to win. But I think the other thing that you have to do also is, at least from a USC perspective, I think you have to impact culture. I think you kind of have to be a cultural dynasty in a lot of ways. You have to be culturally consistent in how you win. I mean, that's kind of what made USC very special in the 2000s, Fred. It wasn't just that they won. It was sort of how they won. It was the personalities. It was Pete kind of being Pete and just 100 miles an hour all the time and just having all of this energy and competing all of the time, you know, Leinert was dating Paris Hilton at the time. Reggie was dating Kim Kardashian at the time. I mean, this was sort of a pseudo-celebrity team. The Lakers were down. You know, Shaq had just left. The Dodgers, the McCourts were going through a bitter divorce. There was no NFL football at that time. USC kind of became LA's team, both college and pro during that time, and really kind of changed culture, came at the intersection of sports and entertainment in a way that was uniquely positioned for USC. So I think they have to not just win, but they have to win and impact culture and impact entertainment. And they're uniquely positioned to do that, given the football history and also given the film history. Everyone forgets, look, the first kind of great football player at USC that really kind of transcended culture was John Wayne, the Duke. I mean, you know, and he was on, on, on the USC football team in the early 30s. And he was that first guy to kind of cross over sports and entertainment. And I think they have to channel that to really kind of get this thing back. You can win. But, you know, the San Antonio Spurs have won, you know, yeah. to a certain extent, like Alabama has won to a certain extent. You know, there's other teams that have won, but they haven't like had the swag, had, you know, kind of the, the aura, the panache, the flash that I think really resonates with L.A. And I think when you think of USC, you think of the intersection of sports and entertainment. So I think it's the sports piece. You got to win, but you also got to do it in a compelling way and be kind of an entertainment product as well. You know, you know, the funny thing, there's only two cities in the world that you could do that. And we're one of them. And the other one is Miami. Right. And, and then when you when you bring in the culture part, 
Michigan is still doing it with their culture, right? Yep. Michigan yep. is going to be Michigan, right? Like yep. nothing's going to change. They're always going to be the maize and blue. Like they're going to be who they are. And so it does work. I think because we're such a progressive, um, a, such a progressive state and like a progressive culture in California is like, oh, that's old. But sometimes if that's the case, and this is an example I used before, tires are old. Tires have never changed. Just because the tread on the tire has changed and the way you nut the tire to the axle has changed, the tire is still the tire, right? <laughs> a tire on a 65 from 1965 is the same tire on a Tesla today, right? It's the exact same thing. It still has disc brakes. It's still, it's still bolted down to, to an axle. So those are the things that, that people don't understand. We could progressively keep the culture, but like you said earlier, we have to bring the things that, that are moving forward. So, and Fred, the one thing I'll say is culture is timeless. So we're yeah. not saying that it's you know old or new. The great cultures are timeless. When you think about three of the four teams right now in the college football playoff, I would argue they have maybe three of the strongest cultures in the sport. I mean, when you talk about Michigan and just the emphasis say of all- what it means to be a Michigan man. I mean, you, we've heard it kind of time and again. And just how, you know, even through kind of this whole Harbaugh or- ordeal, you know, it was all about Michigan values, Michigan men, you know, blue collar and, and really sort of channeling the inner spirit of the Midwest. When you think about Alabama, I mean, Saban's got that thing rolling with all the, you know, sort of pretty southern girls and, you know, the pom poms and, and just everybody in the south so galvanized with Bama. And, and I, you know, so much of their identity is Bama football. And then when you look at Texas, I think Texas's culture is back. You know, you got Matthew McConaughey with his cowboy hat and the buckles and the boots, and he's out there, you know, and bringing all of his friends and all these, you know, very wealthy, successful alumni and and others and all alumni, you know, in in kind of their, you know, fashion and in their culture, you know, once again, that's really thriving. So it's about bringing that culture. And the culture is different depending on geography. To, To your point, the Midwest is a very different culture. Texas has its own culture. I think Dion is trying to channel some of that Colorado, you know, Pacific Northwest, you know, Southwest type of culture as well, to his credit. That's why he's wearing the cowboy hats and doing all this stuff. And I think he's trying to lean in. They got a long way to go. But I think USC's culture, what is distinct about USC is the intersection of sports and entertainment. They got to lean into that. Yeah, especially with George Lucas right there, the George Lucas School of Film right there, walking distance from your facility. Like you can look out the window and it's right there. So yeah, like, yep, exactly. <laughs> there, there's no reason for it. Hey, so that that that's pretty good. I uh, I'll I was going to say something, but I forgot. Oh well, we'll keep moving. Um, we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, we'll finish it with this. It is Christmas. Oh, that's what I'm going to say. If everybody's so progressive about culture, then stop putting a Christmas tree up because that's one of the oldest cultures ever, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a time time over time culture. But neither nor there. It is Christmas spirit. So the next three shows, because we probably won't do a show in two Monday. We'll do a show on the 18th, but we won't do a show on the 25th unless you're, you became Jewish all of a sudden and your holiday is almost over. Um, but the next three shows, uh, Christmas wish. So... I'll put you on the spot now, and then you'll have something to think about the next two days. What's your Christmas wish for SC football program? What's your first Fred, one? You know, my, uh, my Christmas wish for, for SC is really to be in a position where uh, this kind of cycle uh, in terms of kind of the transfer portal, we start seeing some heavy hitters on defense. And, you know, the, you, you start seeing some four-star guys, some five-star guys, and some guys that have really produced – 
uh, in a significant way or have been part of very big programs. You know, there's there's some commits, there's you know some warm intros, there's a lot going on. But my wish for USC football is four or five or six kind of heavy hitters coming on this defensive side of the ball to really set them up for success uh, in 2024. Last year was Bear Alexander and Jamil Muhammad kind of took the headlines. Lucas as well. You know, some pan out, some don't. I'm hoping that number is five or six. And then, you know, you, you, you have half of them hit. And then you've got three really good additions on that front seven in particular uh, to really become competitive in 24. Yeah, so... Um, I will say this because I'm a, we're going to comment on it on a later show, so we're going to reference this show. I was a three-star athlete, right? And the reason why I was a three-star athlete is because I was a tweener. At that time, tweeners were like – so I've never played safety in high school. I was always an outside linebacker. So they didn't know if I was going to be a safety or a linebacker. I will say this. I was ranked in the top 50 as a safety, never played safety in high school, and I was ranked in the top 50 as a linebacker. So there is my out. Because it's going to get to a point to where we're going to have to talk about we're getting too excited over these three-star commits. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> so so we'll, we'll talk about that at a later date. But I will, I do wish this. My wish is that right now, my first Christmas wish is that I hope that Lincoln Riley, DeAnton Lynn, and the rest of the staff stay strong on this recruiting trail. But I just wish they get a little bit more aggressive and start getting better guys. Right? And I'm talking about the stars. Like, start getting better guys. There's an Oklahoma linebacker that's still out there. There's a quarterback that's still out there. There's D linemen out there that are looking or begging to get picked up, right? So I just wish that they stay that they stay hot on this trail, but I just wish that they get a little bit more aggressive and start getting better talent in the recruiting in the recruiting circuit. Neither here nor there. Jamal, we did it again. We did it without my other bearded bandit. And but we did it. We, we miss him. It. We miss him, but uh, you know, he'll be joining us, of course, uh, in the next one. Yeah, it's 11 o'clock where he is right now, so he's probably sleeping. <laughs> Good deal. I appreciate you guys. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Bet Online Salute Detroit podcast. The Madman, Cultural, we did it again. You guys know how to go live free. Fight on.